What comes to your mind if I mention the concept of true confession or true confessions? Sadly, it might be the case that you would think of what has become commonplace in the tabloids and on cable TV and even on the dark side of the internet, the idea of uh, kind of sordid details that people might confess about their lives, about the deeds that they've been involved in. There's become quite a lucrative market for that sort of thing. Often those sorts of tales that are told under the heading of true confessions are uh, false and fabricated, and very often they are in the realm of things that the Apostle Paul said are a shame even to speak of in Ephesians chapter four, uh, 5, rather Ephesians 5 verse 12, a shame even to speak of such things. So unfortunately, the notion of true confession has sort of fallen into a bad reputation. But there is a form of true confession that is actually good and necessary, uh, and there's a place for it, and God values that and desires it from us. He wants us to make the confession that was made by the Ethiopian eunuch. Do you remember in Acts chapter 8, when Philip preached to the Ethiopian eunuch, it says that they came to a certain water, uh, and when they did, the eunuch said, See, here is water, what to tender me to be baptized. And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's the confession that we want to talk about this morning. That's a good confession, a necessary confession. It is the confession of our faith in Jesus Christ. We want to talk about that in our lesson this morning. And we want to use as our text the passage that Joel read for us earlier from Romans chapter 10. This may be the most famous passage and clearest with the most information about the confession that God wants us to make. Romans 10 beginning verse 9 says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We'll be talking about that text in our lesson this morning. We want to thank you all for being present today. We're glad that you've come. We're encouraged very much to see you. We have a beautiful Lord's Day and a great privilege to be united together in the worship of God. Our very primary purpose and the most important thing that we want to accomplish in this this morning is that God will be glorified. We pray that all that we do will be in that way. And we believe, of course, that that is accomplished when we serve and worship Him according to His revealed truth in the Scripture. So as we study and worship together this morning, make sure that we're doing everything the way, the way the New Testament prescribes so that God will be pleased with our service. But also, very important in our reason for coming together today is that we all might be encouraged and edified, informed and instructed in the important ways of God, and we certainly hope that that will be accomplished as well. To that end, if you have any questions about what we're doing or what we're practicing, if you have any questions about anything that's being taught, Please say so, so that we can study together and come to an agreement and understanding of the things that God has for us in His Word. To those of you who are visiting, we're especially grateful you're here. Thanks for coming. Please come again every time that you have a chance. Let's study about confessing our faith in Christ, and especially let's study it from this text in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. This true confession that the Lord wants us to make is first of all, very obviously and simply, a public and audible confession. 
uh, notice, he said, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. And later in the text, he said, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So this is to be a public and audible confession. I don't believe it's necessary for us to necessarily confess before a large crowd of people. In other words, there's no, there's no requirement or condition here that says there's got to be at least 10 people there. There's got to be at least 100 people there. There's nothing like that. In fact, in regards to that confession we read of just a few moments ago by the Ethiopian eunuch, apparently only Philip was there to hear him confess his faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we shouldn't hesitate to confess before large crowds of people if that became an opportunity or necessary to do so. But I don't believe that there's any requirement that there be a crowd of people, but I do believe that the confession must be made for someone to hear. It's not really a confession if no one hears it. If I think it in my mind, or if I say it uh, in the privacy of my own room to myself, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I haven't really made that confession in such a fashion that it stands as a statement of my faith in Jesus Christ. So I do believe it needs to be public. There needs to be someone to hear it. It needs to be audible. It needs to be heard. A confession made with the mouth. There have been several occasions through the years when someone has answered the Lord's invitation and desired to be baptized. This usually seems to be more typical of, of young people. They come to be baptized and you ask them to make their confession of faith. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And they'll go, they'll nod their head yes. And I've always been inclined to say, well, I need to hear you say so. Because that's what this is saying, right? With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And so it is certainly an audible uh, confession to be made. I suppose there's always the question that comes up as to what if you had a, a person who wanted to be baptized but they were a deaf mute, incapable of speaking with their mouth the words concerning their faith in Jesus Christ. And I think clearly there would be an exception in such cases. They'd need to make publicly known their faith if they're unable to speak. I don't think the Lord is going to preclude them from salvation because they can't speak. The Lord never requires us to do what we're not capable of doing. So that would be an exception, but a rare one at that. I've never known such a case personally, and I don't know if you have or not either. But for us, if we would come to the Lord and confess our faith, it needs to be public and audible, a confession made with the mouth. What else can we say about this true confession that the Lord desires us to make? I believe that we can see that it must be based upon a genuine conviction that Jesus is the resurrected Son of God. Notice, the confession is made by one who believes in the heart that God hath raised him, Jesus, from the dead. Think about this for a minute, and I, I think you could realize there might be some other possibilities. For instance, it might be possible to confess without conviction. In other words, I don't really believe it. I have not become convinced about the truth that Jesus is the resurrected Savior, but I'm going to say it anyway. Maybe I feel it's in my advantage to confess this, even though I don't really believe it, because I'm trying to make a good impression on somebody else. Uh, maybe a young man says, here's this young lady, and I'm very interested in her, and she's a Christian, and if she's going to pay any attention to me at all, it's pretty obvious that I'm going to have to go to church with her, and I... And, and maybe I could make a, uh, you know, get a lot of extra points on the positive side 
if I myself uh, at least pretended to become a Christian, so I will make this confession and I'll go through the process, not necessarily because I'm really convinced or I have that much interest in serving the Lord, but this girl, I mean, I'm really interested in her, and so I'll do it on her behalf. Well, that would be a, con- a confession without conviction, right? You know, what that is? you know what that is? A confession without conviction is actually a lie, right? You're saying you believe something that you don't really believe. That would be a lie. But you could do it. You, you see, you could, you could multiply the kind of scenarios where someone might do that, confess something that they don't really believe. That'd definitely be wrong. I think the other end of the, of the spectrum is also possible. It's possible to have conviction but be unwilling to confess. So you can have confession without conviction. I think you can have conviction without confession. I'll give you an example of that from the Scriptures. In John chapter 12, in John chapter 12, beginning verse 42, it says, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. There are some people who believed about Jesus, but they were unwilling to confess because they knew it would bring bad consequences upon them. The Pharisees had already said, if you confess Jesus, we'll throw you out of the synagogue. We'll alienate you. You won't be able to participate here. Of course, in that day and time, that would have been very hard to even earn a living or make your way if they kicked you out of the synagogue. And so here were some people who believed in Jesus, but they wouldn't confess him. So they had conviction but they weren't willing to make the confession. Now, think about that then, and I hope you agree with me that both things are necessary. That the confession must be based on true conviction. You've got to have both. You must be convicted that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, and you've got to be willing to make that confession according to the Scriptures. The question is, the question that Jesus put to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16. Look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, beginning when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to, but he said to them, Who say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So there's the question, Who am I? And Peter gave the right answer, and it's the answer that we must give out of deep conviction. We really believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The New Testament uh, provides us with all kinds of evidence to draw that valid conclusion. In John chapter 20, in John chapter 20, beginning verse 30, John said, many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So we're not, we're not asked to make a confession without the proof that stands behind it. The evidence, the proof is there. Study it. Be convinced. And when you have become convinced, then based upon that conviction, make this true confession that Jesus is the Son of God. We asked all who are here this morning, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus really is the Son of God? If you do, will you confess your faith in Him and be obedient? That's the question. But true confession must be based upon this genuine conviction.
I'll tell you something else about our confessing faith in Jesus Christ. When we do this, it amounts to an expression of commitment to the Lord. Notice, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. We're confessing the Lord Jesus. In acknowledging our faith in him as Savior, that's what the word Jesus implies. He's our Savior or Deliverer. Jesus is Savior, but he's also our Lord and Master. We're admitting an obligation to the one who is Lord and Master. That being the case, then this confession actually also constitutes a promise to serve and obey. If I confess Jesus, if I truly, out of conviction, confess Jesus to be the risen Savior, then I'm saying that I will serve Him and I will be obedient in my life. Actually, if you stop to think about it, it's only logical to do so, right? If I'm really convinced Jesus is the risen Savior, with all that that therefore entails, in other words, if He's the risen Savior, then it also means that He's coming again in judgment, and that there's an eternity awaiting, and that I'm accountable, and I must be obedient. If, if I am willing to really honestly confess that I believe Jesus is the risen Savior, then it is only logical that I'm saying I will therefore serve him and be obedient. He will be my Lord and my master. That's really a serious thing if you stop to consider it. In confessing Jesus and acknowledging him as your Lord and master, therefore promising to serve and obey Him. Think about that, a promise. You're making a commitment when you do this. This confession is an expression of real commitment to the Lord. You're going to keep that promise? You're going to keep the promise you made when you confess Jesus as your Lord? This is something that speaks to all of us who are Christians. You've made a promise. You made a confession. You said He would be your Lord. Are you living up to that? You know, broken promises are a pretty serious thing. Uh, you got to think seriously about the consequences of breaking promise. Let's say that I made a promise to you uh, about something just involved in day-to-day -day living. Let's, let's say that I promised to do something for you or I've, I promised to give you something or made some other obligation. I made a promise to you, but then I didn't live up to the promise. I didn't follow through and do what I said I was going to do. I made a promise that I didn't keep. What's the possibility of that? Well, very likely you're going to be upset, right? If you were on the receiving end of that promise and then I didn't follow through and do what I said I was going to do, it's certainly a real possibility, in fact, a probability that you're going to be very upset with me, even angry with me, because I didn't do what I promised to do. Now, make the application of that to our confession about Jesus. We confessed Him. We said, I really believe, and therefore I confess Jesus as the risen Savior. I I say that he is my Lord. Therefore, I'm going to obey and I'm going to serve. And then I don't do it. That doesn't make sense, does it? First of all, it doesn't make sense to say you believe Jesus is Lord and then not sincerely with dedicated purpose serve him. But secondly, it's actually a, a breaking of the promise that you made that he would be your Lord. I tell you, I don't think you want to be in that situation of having made a promise to the Lord that you then don't follow through and keep. Look in Philippians chapter 2, and Paul talks about this confession the Lord wants us to make. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning verse 10, uh, it says, 
that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We need to confess Jesus as our Lord. And when we do that, we're basically saying, I will serve him. I will be obedient. And so this confession is just that. Also, we should notice that this confessing Jesus is one vital step on the road to salvation. Did you notice with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. In other words, this confession leads toward salvation. It's one of the steps in the process of being saved. There are other steps that need to be taken. For instance, all agree. I don't, in fact, I don't think I've ever talked with anyone who didn't agree that in order to be saved, you have to repent. Jesus, for instance, said in Luke 13, 3, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. This passage doesn't mention repentance. It's not in there anywhere, is it? And so th this makes it clear that this is not, this doesn't tell us everything we have to do in order to be saved. It tells us some necessary components of salvation. And specifically, confession is one of those things we must do that leads unto salvation. So, there's more. But this is obviously a necessary thing. It's not enough, though. It's standing alone. By itself, confession would not get us salvation, would not get us to the point of being saved. It's a necessary step, but there are others leading to salvation. I don't know about you, but I've tried to make this point before. I don't know if it really registers with those who teach faith-only salvation. But they're really inconsistent when they say we are saved by faith only because almost everyone, in fact, everyone I've ever talked to who believes in faith-only salvation, if you ask them, well, do you have to confess your faith in Jesus? They'll say yes. Well, if you have to confess, then it's not faith-only, right? I mean, they've, been, they've basically given up their position when they say, well, yeah, you have to confess. Well, then it's not salvation by faith only, right? Furthermore, those same people say, well, there are no works. There's no works involved in salvation. But when you really think about it, confession is a work. You have to do it, right? Yeah, as I've mentioned before, you actually have to expend some energy to form the words and say, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's a form of work. They don't exclude that, but for some reason they want to exclude baptism as not being necessary. So I think they're really inconsistent in their position. But we understand confession is one vital aspect leading to salvation. So, uh, again, confession is clearly necessary. We might ask the question, where does confession then fit? If, if it is all that we've talked about this morning, public and audible, based on true conviction, expressing our commitment to serve the Lord, and one step on the way towards salvation. If that's all true then, the question could be asked, what is the proper order then? In what order should we do these things that lead to salvation? Well, let's talk about that briefly. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, you know it well, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. I can't believe what I've never been taught. I can't believe what I don't know. And so I first have to be exposed to the facts. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word. I've got to hear. I've got to be instructed so that I can have the opportunity to make a decision. So I think that's 
the obvious first thing. You've got to be taught or hear. Then you've got to believe. Because you're not going to do anything else if you don't believe what you've been taught. And right here, it suggests that you believe in the heart and it leads you to act. With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. With mouth confession made and salvation. So after you've been taught, and you consider those facts in your mind, in your heart, then you come to a point of faith. So you hear, and then you believe. So I think belief has to be second there, right? There's no reason to do anything else. In fact, you're not going to do anything else if you don't believe what you've been told. So hear, believe, those two things seem to be in the right order. Some wonder about repentance and confession. Which should we name next? So hear, believe, should it then be confess, repent, be baptized, or should it be hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized? Does repentance come before confession or after confession? What would be the proper order? Well, we know repentance comes before baptism. Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins you should receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So repentance has to come before baptism. We know it would come after hearing and believing, and it would come before baptism. I think that's obvious. But I really think repentance should come before confession as well. Because you notice what we said? We said confession is actually an expression of commitment to the Lord. You're saying that you're going to obey. And I really believe that that would imply you've already had this change of heart that you're willing to confess Jesus as your Lord, you've already had the change of heart, therefore, I think that's suggesting that repentance would come before confession. Then, of course, we know confession would come before baptism. We read earlier this morning from Acts 8 about the Ethiopian eunuch. When they went to, came to a certain water, the eunuch said, see, here's water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? I want to be baptized. He said, Philip... By his response, basically says, there's one thing standing between you and doing that. And that is making your confession. Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So confession would come before baptism, obviously. Well, if we were going to put it in the right order, I think we've got to do this order. Here, you've got to be taught first. You've got to... Believe what you've been taught. You need to repent. Have a change of heart. Turning from sin, turning to God that leads you to make this good confession that we've been talking about in our lesson this morning and then to be baptized for the remission of sin. Acts 2.38, Acts 22, verse 16, 1 Peter 3.21 and so many other verses that teach the necessity of baptism. True confession. It's an important thing. God wants it from us. He wants us to confess that we believe that Jesus Christ is His only begotten Son. Have you made that good confession? As we said earlier, all the facts and evidence point to this truth. You should accept it as being so. But if you accept it as being so, then it's only logical that you would submit to this Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. Have you done that? Have you obeyed the gospel plan of salvation that we just enumerated? If you've never done that, we hope you'll make that decision without delay. If you need more study or information... We'd be glad to study with you, but you need to think about this without delay. Make your commitment to the Lord. If you're a Christian already, but you've fallen away, remember, you made effectively a promise 
when you confessed Jesus as Lord, you made a promise that you would serve him. And if you've not been faithful to that, then you're in a seriously, spiritually undone situation. You need to make that right. If you're a Christian, you need to fall away. You need to come back to him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song.